Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. I'm going to read from God's word from Matthew's gospel and chapter 5. If you have a Bible handy, you may want to get it out, have it open in front of you, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, then I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at God's word together. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fellowship here, Calvary Chapel, South London. I thank you for the fact they meet here in Brockley. I thank you for their faithfulness, and I pray now that as we bow before your word, that your word might be our rule, that your spirit, that he might be our teacher, and that your honor and your glory alone might be our supreme concern for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, please have that passage open in front of you from Matthew's Gospel. After he became the youngest player ever to win the Wimbledon title in 1985, at the tender age of 17, apparently 89% of West Germans knew his name according to a survey done at the time. In fact, VW was probably the only German product that was better known than he was. He went on to win two more Wimbledon titles, and over 60 tournaments, making him one of, the most, one of the greatest tennis players of the 20th century. However, in 1999, the year he retired from the game, having lost on centre court at Wimbledon, Boris Becker, later that day, had sex in a broom cupboard of all places with a Russian model at an expensive Japanese restaurant here in London. Becker later admitted that it was the most expensive one-night stand of his life, not that it happened at night. Apparently, the whole thing lasted a mere five seconds. I'm not sure how I would have had the courage to admit that much, but there you go. And yet it cost him over £1 million in a divorce settlement, plus an additional £20,000 a month for maintenance. Because at the time, 
Becca's then wife was pregnant with their second child. No wonder he describes the incident as, I quote, a mistake that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Not only did Boris Becker have sex with a complete stranger, but eight months later, he received a fax from her informing him that their daughter would soon be born. A paternity test later confirmed that Becker had indeed become a father for the third time. Why am I telling you this rather sordid story? Well, it's for this reason. To be driven by a strong, passionate, uncontrolled desire for that which is forbidden can be a shameful, painful business with very real and very long-term consequences. Some of you here today may have already learned this from your own personal experience. To quote Becker again, I hoped that a thoughtless bit on the side during a tumultuous phase in my life, wouldn't have any consequences. Reality, however, had no such room for vain hopes. I don't know what you think about this, but Jesus Christ said pretty much the same thing 2,000 years ago. In the part of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount, that is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has been describing the character of those to whom belongs the kingdom of heaven. You may consider yourself a religious person here today, or you may lay no claim to being religious or a Christian whatsoever, in which case it's great that you're here. But it's important to note that the Sermon on the Mount is about true religion. And Jesus maintains that true religion is inward and Godward, and not simply outward or for the benefit of those around us. It is fine to come uh, to church dressed in a smart suit, but that has absolutely nothing to do with the inward state of your heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 48, Jesus is describing using six examples or illustrations what it would look like for people like those of us here today, those to whom belong God's kingdom, to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the religious and the devout Pharisees and teachers of the law mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. And this afternoon, I want to look at the second illustration of kingdom righteousness. What it looks like to live right before the gaze of God. In verses 27 to 30. And Jesus illustrates this righteousness by looking at the seventh commandment in verses 27 and 28. Which in verse 27 is this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Now, there are two things I think God wants you and I to hear this afternoon from his word, from this passage, from Matthew's gospel. The first is this. Adultery is about my intentions as well as my actions. Adultery is about my intentions as well as about my actions. It is possible that someone here this afternoon is or has been in an adulterous relationship 
Or perhaps you are someone here thinking about getting involved in an adulterous relationship. In which case, you will not need to be convinced of this point because you already know it to be true in your experience. Adultery, says Jesus, is just as much about my intentions as it is about the physical act of being unfaithful or sexually immoral. Human beings like you and I tend most naturally towards having a legalistic view of life. Well, Jesus says this is not the kind of righteousness we should be pursuing as kingdom people. Now, in the ancient world, the world during the time that Jesus lived, a woman was expected to be a virgin on her wedding night and faithful thereafter. Her husband, on the other hand, could be unfaithful as long as it was not with a married woman, because he would then be violating the rights of her husband. That would be stealing what did not belong to him. Or so the thinking went. Male chauvinism and double standards are not unique to the 21st century. Now, as with the commandment about murder in verse 21 of Matthew 5, God's people had been taught that you had only broken the seventh commandment if you committed the actual physical act of having sex with someone that you were not married to. Although this was better than the secular teaching of the day, by taking the law, the letter of the law, and reducing it to a, a single event, i.e. the physical act of adultery, they had in fact nullified its full impact. To the Pharisees and teachers of the law, this command was more about stealing or taking another man's wife than it was about purity of life. So they condemned the outward act and according to John chapter 8, they could be quite severe towards a person who'd been caught in the act of committing adultery, even though they practiced a kind of double standard. But if they had read the Ten Commandments properly, they would have realized that they covered the attitude of the heart as well as the actions of the body. Because, of course, the Tenth Commandment says this, do not covet something that does not belong to you. To covet something is all about one's desires and one's intentions. Before those desires or intentions are translated into the actions of the body. Therefore, all the commandments, including the seventh commandment, need to be understood in the light of the tenth commandment. And yet, having said all that, Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 28, and by the divine authority invested in him as Emmanuel, that is, God with us, that is, God come in the flesh, he says, never mind what you've been taught by your leaders, I tell you that as it stands, the seventh commandment is more than just about the physical act of adultery. Adultery is about your intentions as well as your actions. It's important uh, to see that by constantly emphasizing the spirit of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is protecting you and I from that legalistic spirit that says, because strictly speaking, I have not broken any laws or any rules, I'm okay. 
I've not done anything wrong. The Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, has been in the news recently in the wake of two debates with the leader of UKIP. Apparently, he has made history by becoming the first senior minister to take part in a weekly radio program on LBC. Some months ago now, I was fascinated to hear him say, with respect to clamping down on those who try to avoid paying tax, that the government wanted to take action against those who not only broke the law, but also those who broke the spirit of the law when it comes to tax avoidance. You see, Jesus says, you may not have sinned physically, but what is going on in your heart, in your mind, and in your imagination? What was your intention in giving that look or in wearing that dress? Verse 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice first that Jesus says anyone can be guilty. So presumably both men and women are included here in this verse. Second, the word woman here in verse 28 could be translated wife. However, most Bible commentators agree that what is meant here is woman and not wife. In other words, whether the woman is married or not is irrelevant. So this verse includes those who are married and those of us here who are single. Jesus is warning that just as anger lies at the heart of murder, verses 21 and 22, so lust lies at the heart of adultery. And more often than not, it is the motive behind the act of adultery, verse 28. Now, Jesus is not saying that we deserve to go to hell because of a look. Nor is he saying that a look is the same as the act. But what I believe Jesus is saying is that adultery, like murder, begins in the private, secret world of our intentions, our thoughts, our desires, and our emotions. So can I say that to conclude that this verse only applies to men or lesbians is to be guilty of the kind of legalistic interpretation of the Bible that Jesus condemns in both the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. To put it slightly differently, lust is a human problem and not simply a male one. In addition to that, it is worth also saying that lust is not just a problem for married people. In fact, Joshua Harris, in his book on lust, says that much of the book was directed towards single men and women because, I quote, listen carefully if you're single, so often it's during the single years that lust gains a foothold in a person's life. I've come to believe that lust may be be the defining struggle of this generation. Whether that is an overstatement or not, I don't know. But lust is a real human problem. Which, of course, brings us to the question, what is lust? 
what is lust. Since Jesus seems to take it so seriously, it's worth making sure we know what it is. Given that we live in a sex-saturated society, wherein sex is used to sell just about everything and anything, is there a difference between looking and lusting? I mean, you can't even watch music videos these days, can you? Without being saturated in your mind with lustful thoughts. At least, maybe that's more a reflection on me than anything else. Well, it's worth saying that lust is not the same as experiencing sexual temptation. It's almost impossible today to avoid sexual temptation, especially if you're a visually orientated man. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, even Jesus faced temptation. So lust is not the same as being tempted. Being tempted to lust is not so much a problem as giving in to that temptation. Second, it is not lust if you find yourself turned on by something or someone without, consciously, without a conscious decision or effort on your part. That's a normal part of growing up. Third, having a desire to have sex, even a strong desire, is not the same as lust. God has made each of us sexual beings, and obviously none of us would be here but for the God-given desires given to each of our parents. You can get that picture out of your mind so we can move on, okay? (laughs) Our sexual drive is a good and important God-given gift to be used in the way God intended. That is, within a lifelong marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Fourth, it is not lust to anticipate and to be excited about one day being able to have sex within a marriage relationship. Indeed, such anticipation is not only healthy but natural and to be expected. Finally, it is not lusting to be attracted to someone or to notice that he or she is physically good-looking. I like the attitude of Bishop Taylor Smith, who apparently enjoyed looking at a pretty woman. However, he would always turn this enjoyment into prayer. You just laugh because you don't do that. But all this brings us back to the question, what is lust? Well, the ESV, the the English Standard Version, translates part of verse 28 as follows. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Arguably, that is a better translation, a better rendering than the NIV. And that is because although most translations opt for something similar to what is in the NIV, the verse should very likely be read as follows. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with the intention of getting her to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus in this verse is not referring so much to lusting of the heart, something that we're all familiar with, especially if we're male. He's not talking about that here, but rather the earliest attempts of a man, for example, to arouse a woman's interest in his planned sexual immorality. Before you and I have actually said or done anything, Jesus says it's possible for you and I to have already committed adultery simply by our intentions. 
It is possible, is it not, to look at a person in such a way so as to communicate to them that you want them to desire you sexually. Jesus calls that adultery of the heart. Apparently, some languages have a special word for making a signal with the eyes in order to suggest sexual availability. Well, Jesus goes even further back than that to the very intentions of the heart behind the giving of such a signal. And he says there, at that moment, at that point, you've already committed adultery. In the Bible, the word lust is actually a neutral word. It simply means strong desire. So, for example, Jesus says that he had a strong desire to eat the Passover with his closest disciples in Luke 22, verse 15. For you and I, however, as sinful human beings, the trouble with lust is that it seeks to hijack our good, God-given desires, especially, although not exclusively, in the area of our sexuality. In verse 28, lust is being narrowly defined as sexual desire that rejects what God says is good and wholesome while seeking satisfaction apart from him and outside of what he has ordained. In the area of our sexuality, God says, do not covet that which does not rightfully belong to you. But lust says, no. I want to covet exactly that, that which is not rightfully mine. Our lust naturally covets, therefore, that which God has forbidden. And lust always wants more. It is never satisfied with the object that it seeks because lust glories in the very desiring of that which is forbidden. To lust is to be in the service of an idol, a false god. When it gets what it wants, it moves on to desiring something else. Isn't that why children get tired of that new toy so quickly? Isn't that why advertising works so effectively? This cell phone is not good enough because this one has come out. It just feeds our lust for more. Jesus says if you approach someone other than your husband or wife with the intention of arousing such feelings in them, you've already committed adultery. He is warning us against that uncontrolled and consuming sexual passion which leads you and I to first contemplate adultery and then to commit it in our minds which can then lead us to follow through in our actions. The sobering thing about this definition of adultery is that women can be just as guilty of it as men. It may be more subtle in women, but it is there nonetheless. Listen to the way Boris Becker described his encounter with that Russian model who later would become the mother of his illegitimate child. I'd noticed her Two weeks before, I'd been to the restaurant with friends and she had looked at me for those exact 
two extra seconds that tells the experienced hunter that she's up for it. And here she was again. A little later, she got up from her table and went off in the direction of the toilets. I followed her. Five minutes of small talk, then into the nearest suitable corner for our business. Afterwards, she returned to her girlfriends, and I took a taxi back to the hotel. Do you see it? Can you see what happened? By looking at Becca in a certain way, which no doubt was very subtle and very easy to miss, it was that young woman's intention to make Becca lust after her. Jesus says she'd already committed adultery with him long before they got to that broom cupboard two weeks later. Now, of course, when a man looks at a woman and fantasizes about her and mentally undresses her, that is lust. For many, sex and pornography is really just about treating a person like a piece of meat that satisfies one's appetite. In the words of one writer, it is the untamed desire for another's body. No doubt Becca was guilty of that, like all the men in this room. And I think verse 28 probably should include this idea. Jesus says we are all adulterers. But by defining lust as also causing or seeking to entice another to lust, Jesus broadens significantly what it means to lust and so to commit adultery. Because it becomes clear that we are all guilty, whether male or female. God, in his wisdom, has made men visually stimulated and so created women to want to look, feel, and be beautiful. He gave men the desire to want to pursue women and designed women to enjoy being pursued. But sadly, ungodly lust twists and distorts these desires in a man and makes it all about capturing, possessing, or using a woman. For many men, lust becomes all about enticing a woman to fall into sin so that he can brag to his friends about what a man he is. For a woman, her temptation is to use her body to seduce and manipulate a man. She wants wants to get a man to lust after her in order to control him. Ladies, I'm not trying to pick a fight with any of you. I'm just trying to show you that Jesus is saying that lust is a human problem and not an exclusively male problem. Just because you don't go around with your tongue hanging out of your head at the sight of the Will Smith lookalike in the congregation doesn't mean you don't struggle with lust. So a couple looking at a seductive TV ad on television will be tempted in different ways. The man will be tempted to imagine himself having sex with the woman in the ad. While the woman will want to look like the woman in the ad because she knows men desire or lust after such a woman. My point is, according to Jesus, adultery is just as much about my intentions and your intentions become translated into the actions of your body. The second thing I want us to see this afternoon, the second thing God wants us to see from his word is this. My sin, your sin, is so serious that we need to be ruthless with it. My sin, your sin, is so serious that together we need to be ruthless with it. 
Now, whether you are religious, non-religious, or a Christian here today, this afternoon, as long as you and I think only in terms of the actions of the body, we will never truly understand the depth and the seriousness of our corruption. You and I will never appreciate how desperately wicked and evil we are if we only think in terms of the letter and not the spirit. Before coming here, I was meeting with a young man who was not a Christian. We sat chatting for two, three hours, and he struggled with the idea that you and I are evil. Well, the message of the Bible is that you and I are rotten to the very core of our being. Our rebellion has corrupted every part of us, mind, heart, and will. And God is angry with us because our natural inclination is to despise him. And instead of following his word, we follow our own sinful passions or corrupt desires, especially in the area of our sexuality. Just last weekend, our government made it legal for two men or two women to get married. We're following our own ways, our own paths. And God being a God of justice, he must punish us. But his love compels him to send Jesus Christ, the God-man, to die on the cross for each one of us. Now, unless you and I understand the radical corruption of our own hearts, and that it is from within our own hearts and, our, and thoughts, that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality comes, to quote Jesus in Matthew 15, you and I will never understand the vital importance of sharing our faith with others or the need to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will never appreciate why Jesus uses the strong language that he does in verse 29 and 30 of Matthew chapter 5. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. A Christian man called Origen, who lived in the third century, castrated himself because he took these verses seriously and literally. He cut it off. Literally. But the trouble with that is, castration cannot change the intentions of the heart. If in verse 29, I pluck out my right eye because it lusted or caused lust in someone else, why not my left eye as well? But even a blind man can have lustful thoughts and intentions. And a similar thing could be said of my right hand in verse 30. And if Jesus says in Matthew 15 that the problem is with my heart, what am I supposed to do then? Cut out my heart? No, self-mutilation misses the point of what Jesus is saying here. In fact, the practice was later outlawed by, uh, by a church council that met in the third century. Origen himself realized his mistake and later admitted that a Christian is called upon to amputate the passions of the soul without touching the body. What a mistake to make! But it's not a mistake you or I would make in a hurry, is it? 
Perhaps because you and I don't take our sin quite so seriously to our shame. Taking sin seriously is not exactly fashionable in London in 2014, is it? No, Jesus is not endorsing the act of self-maiming, but rather a ruthless moral self-denial. He is saying, for God's sake, don't flirt with sin. Instead, he's saying, be radical with sin in your life by dealing with it drastically. He's saying, my sin, your sin, is such a serious thing that rather than playing legalistic religious games like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, like Bill Clinton did some years ago in the Monica Lewinsky episode, you and I need to be ruthless with it. Adultery does not start with the action. It starts with my intentions and thoughts, which in turn stimulate my imagination and leads to actions and eventually to a pattern of life that could lead you and I to hell. So recognize it for what it is at the level of your intentions, your motivations, and deal with it ruthlessly. So verse 29, if you're at work or in the office and are tempted to look at someone who is off limits in a way that is inappropriate, Jesus says, Act as if your eyes have been plucked out and thrown away. In other words, don't look. If you are tempted to use your hands to cause someone to lust after you, boyfriends and girlfriends take note, then behave as if your hands have been amputated and thrown away. In other words, don't touch. Especially, don't touch those parts of the other person's body that you don't have. Don't touch them. Ladies, if you are tempted to wear that hot little number, act as if your legs have been cut off so that you can't walk to that wardrobe and get that little dress out. Because you well know it will cause those around you to lust after you. Guys, if you are in a situation where you are tempted to say something that will cause the women present to think, hmm, he's a hot man, I like a bit of him, act instead as if your tongue has been cut out of your face and don't say it. Of course, lots more could be said, couldn't it? But I think you get the drift. It is better, in the words of one writer, to accept some cultural amputation in this world than risk final destruction in the next. But of course, this is all very countercultural, isn't it? In a world where many people think a little bit on the side is harmless fun. You and I will swim against the tide if we take sin seriously and so are ruthless with it. If we believe Eternity with God is more important than our time in this world and purity of life is more important than the culture that has shaped us. We will be ruthless with sin. So can you see how demanding kingdom righteousness is? That is why we are saved by grace and by no other means. On the cross, Jesus died for our sinful intentions, yours and mine. Our sinful words, yours and mine. 
our sinful actions, yours and mine. And then he gives us freely his own perfect righteousness to cover over our dirty, sinful, stained garments of vile unrighteousness. The Sermon on the Mount points you and I to a standard we will never attain in this life, while at the same time pointing us to a Savior who has attained everything for us already anyway, the Lord Jesus Christ. But having received the perfect righteousness that King Jesus alone gives, you and I are called by this same King to embrace his righteous way of living here and now. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of your grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would engrave the word that we have heard here this afternoon upon our hearts. That we would know that adultery is not just about our actions, but about the sex life of our hearts. And so help us to be ruthless with the sin we see in our own hearts. Help us to be ruthless with those ungodly intentions we see lurking in our own hearts. And help us to run to the Lord Jesus and beg for his forgiveness when we fail to live the righteous life he's called us to live. And help us to rejoice in the gospel of his grace. And all God's people said... To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.